welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Thank you, big voice in the sky, week 11 in the books, 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast here to recap it all. Barton Simmons, I'm Chip Patterson. Barton, we've already overcome adversity here on this Monday morning. We are already understanding that this is late November, and if you want to be a championship-caliber podcast, you've got to be able to overcome adversity. We're out here. We have sustained uh, the initial wave trying to prevent us from flourishing, and now we are into the second quarter, and we are ready to deliver uh, a fantastic recap of the weekend action. Got a little audio issue here before we got going, but uh, got it squared away. Uh, those leadership reps came in handy. Leadership reps. We are uh, we are ready, man. This is uh, another unbelievable weekend. Um, it, it was. It's so funny how we 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 wring our hands and we we go through these project projections and we talk about how oh man, there's going to be. Uh, uh, two SEC teams in, or or man, how is Ohio State ever going to get in the mix, or whatever, and and all those projections always get blown up because there's always more chaos than we ever would have imagined. And sure enough, this weekend uh, that chaos hit. Um, Georgia, Notre Dame, Butch Jones. Which direction do you want to start in? Very opposite uh, ends because we've got two. You know, we've got we've got a Georgia team that still is going to be playing for the SEC championship and trying to put an argument together for the playoff committee. You've got a Notre Dame team that has a much longer way to climb now with its second loss needing a whole lot of help and a lot more of that chaos that you talked about. And then we have a Butch Jones who's now out here on the job market and a Tennessee team that is without a head coach. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's start with the number one team in the country. Georgia. The Bulldogs. Bulldogs. Um, this was... Un, th- this was not surprising to see Auburn win. I was still stunned to see him put it on him. Yeah, and yeah, because because I was that, sitting here calling the Auburn. I was like, dude, I think Auburn's going to win this game. I really yeah. think Auburn's going to win this game. But I, I mean, I was with you on the under call. You know, like that was the the way that you and Tom broached it. Then, like, I saw Auburn winning this game in some nutty SEC weird fashion and it wasn't it was just a a thorough like picking apart of Georgia's defense I mean the X's and O's were beautiful they were doing a good job of uh setting up the deep ball to Darius Slayton now we've criticized Gus Malzahn all season long at different points and I think this was one of the best coached games for the Auburn offense it was and I I think of Every every unit in that game, every aspect of it, I thought the most surprising part of it was Georgia's front seven's inability to control the line of scrimmage. Uh, Auburn's front seven did with what I expected them to do. Now I don't know about expected. I mean, they 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 totally shut down Georgia's run game. Um, that didn't surprise me. You know, had 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 Georgia rushed for 120 yards, that that wouldn't have surprised me either. But I expected Georgia's front seven then to, to meet that challenge. That's what I thought the game was going to boil down to, was just two outstanding front seven defenses um, slowing this game down, 
shortening it, making it a every yard counts, scrape and claw type of battle, and that was that was one sided. I mean, Auburn was the only team that put put up that kind of an, a, a performance. Um, so I was shocked. I, I didn't think that Georgia could get dominated like that, and 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 they did. And so I think uh, now we we take a look at Georgia and we say, all right, so. Obviously, in one day, they get trounced by Auburn. Um, the team that they their, their their sort of biggest resume win of the season gets trounced by Miami at the same time, and and now we look at Georgia and we say, okay, like were we fooled? Um, mm. I don't know. I think I, I think that was a really tough atmosphere to go into. I think Auburn, you know, I think playing with that number one ranking was was um, it's tough to do. It's a factor. It is a factor. Yeah. You can't and, ignore it. Like the, the, this, especially for a Georgia team that has not done it, you cannot ignore the extraneous factor that comes with, uh, being the top team in the country, being the top dog and going on the road against your rival, deep South's oldest, the deep South's oldest rivalry. And, um, getting beat by like an elite, a, a top tier SEC team. And I couldn't help, but like during that game, just go back to where you've been at here on this podcast, which is, you know, both Georgia and then also for that matter, Alabama, we built them into being world beaters in our mind without them getting tested by uh, like their peers, as in like the best teams in the country, the best teams in the SEC. And so, you know, that got exposed a little bit. You know, like we're sitting here typing out our ballots for the CBS Sports 130, and you just remember that, yeah, like at every, at the end of every year, there's a lot of good football teams that have one or two losses. And Georgia looks like one of those really, really good football teams that has one or two losses. And to your earlier point, like we're not going to finish the year with five undefeated teams. It never happens. And if there's a spot where Georgia's going to lose, it's going to be right after they've clinched the SEC East when they're going on the road to an Auburn team that's got its back against the wall. Like that's the way the story goes. And there, there was, I mean, one thing we also don't really think about, and, and I can't remember, I think maybe you mentioned it on, on one of the podcasts heading into this, this game, was, was um, I think Auburn's got an advantage at the quarterback position and Jarrett Stidham. And, and that was something that, I mean, Jake Fromm credited him, man. He, he, he's had a great year, and, and he's going to be a great quarterback. And, and, but you can't be that one-dimensional and, and win those kind of football games. You can't have this bus driver quarterback and 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 act asking to be a bus driver and and expect to win unless you are just that good defensively and and that good in the run game and the offensive line and and I think maybe some people and and, and me included suspected there was a chance that Georgia was that good in the run game and that good on the on the defense uh, but I think we learned that there's that you know they need another aspect to the game and and Honestly, aside from Javon Wims, I, I'm as much of a there's as much of a concern for me at the receiving position for Georgia as, as there is at the quarterback position. Just who are the guys that are going to go make those plays for you um, on the outside when you need them? And I don't know. There's there's a little out of practice throwing the football. You know, like yeah. they just haven't. They've never had to get in a groove and throw the football consistently, and and that's just something they've got to have to win those games in the playoffs, which which again are still right there in front of them. 
All right, so they're still right there in front of them, but you know, are you coming out of this game? Because you know, as as I sat here and you know described that it's not that surprising to me to see a good Georgia team that maybe isn't this you know world beater dominant Georgia team, but one of the you know five or six best teams in the country. It's not surprising to see them go on the road to lose at Auburn. I'm I'm coming out of this probably still considering them about the same. Uh, type of team like as as we're playing this forward to Alabama in the SEC championship game, which is yeah, I I think that Georgia's probably a five and a half or six point underdog. I thought it before Auburn. I thought it coming out of Auburn, and I think some of those same limitations are are going to be a big a big factor here. I just uh, I'm not I'm not ready to write the Bulldogs off based on the limitations in the passing game that were exposed here. No, not at all. And I think if it's a one game opportunity there in the SEC championship game one game plan opportunity uh they'll have a great game plan they'll be ready they'll be you know that'll be a different mentality they'll be playing as underdogs they'll have the chip on their shoulder and I think the Georgia you could I could absolutely see Georgia um playing themselves in but but again it's it's very hard to start penciling Georgia into the playoffs after that performance it's just you can't scrub that from your mind that easily and uh, uh the flip side is with with Alabama's injuries, with the the way that they've looked beatable the past couple weeks, um, with that game being at Jordan Hare Stadium, Auburn is is no longer this this there's no longer this like oh extreme scenario Auburn could win out and make it to the college football playoffs like this has become very realistic really quickly that Auburn could get into the playoffs uh, with the way these guys are playing and with the atmosphere that's that's being built there. Um, in their home stadium, so uh, the Iron Bowls, the, the Iron Bowl got real quick. Yeah, <laughs> I'll agree. But at the same time, you know, we went into that night slate, and I, and you know, like sort of, we can we can go ahead and get the Alabama Mississippi State in here too. I, I think Jalen Hurts is probably one of my favorite closers in college football. I, I would take him. I think that it's like no, even though their skill sets are one hundred percent different, based on being. Uh, calm and cool under pressure by having a confidence that translates to your entire offense um, with the ability to continue to like execute in those crunch moments. Like I'm taking Baker Mayfield and Jalen Hurts as my first and second team. Again, totally different skill sets, but the, the comments and the commentary coming out of that Mississippi State game was that nobody in that huddle uh, was at all nervous. I mean, they just Alabama's offense knew that they were going to be able to get the plays they needed to win, and the teammates credited their now true sophomore quarterback Jalen Hurts for being able to do it. And because of that, I'm still picking Alabama in the Iron Bowl, knowing knowing how tough of an environment it's going to be, but also knowing that that's uh, that's one of the top quarterbacks in the country to be able to guide you in and out of that situation. I I, I left that Mississippi State game thinking Alabama's the best team in college football. And I also think Alabama's a flawed team, and they're, they're a beatable team, but I think they're the best team. And and that may sound weird. No, uh, that's not against, weird. Well, well I, I mean, I think to the common, like, a lot of people don't look at Mississippi State as some team that should test Alabama, right? Like, I do. I think Mississippi State's really good. I think that atmosphere was a really tough atmosphere for Alabama. They, it, it, the, the game played out perfectly in Mississippi State's favor with Alabama missing starting linebackers that are trying to fit a run game for a, a, a physical Nick Fitzgerald. Um, Mississippi State possessed the football 
for almost twice as long as Alabama. Um, they, they had every opportunity to win that game. They played the perfect game, and they still weren't able to win it because, as you mentioned, Jalen Hurts made those plays late. Uh, the, 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 te- the Alabama team, just they just um, kind of pulled a championship-type effort. There yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was, that was the kings of the SEC at the very last minute being like, all right, Mississippi State, this was fun. Right. But now we got to flip the switch real quick and get out of here with a win. Yeah, and and hey, if Mississippi State goes down there and, and is able to punch it into the end zone, and there and that drive that um, that had to settle for a field goal uh, to to make it a seven point lead instead of a a uh, what would that be a, a, a ten point lead? Yeah, eleven point lead. Um, obviously, that changes things. But but the the fact that they didn't, the fact that Alabama got that stop, and, that, and then just methodically drove down the field and, and, and won the game. I mean, look, if Alabama could, get, could have gotten a couple more stops, I think that there's, you know, get that offense on the field more, um, it could have gotten ugly. But they, but credit Mississippi State for controlling things. And so I, I think Alabama, win or lose, I shouldn't say win or lose in the Iron Bowl. I, I just think that they're the best team in college football. And I think that when they get to the playoffs, uh, as they start to get a little more healthy, I think that they'll show that the Iron Bowl, though, to me is is maybe going to be their toughest test, maybe the rest of the season. Mm. Like I, I think Auburn, like assuming that Alabama wins, yeah, I, I think Auburn is that good. Because yeah. think like think about our Auburn perspective too. They lose by eight points to Clemson with as they're still breaking in a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback. Uh, they they they're a different team now than that team that played Clemson, and and I think that they've they've settled in their offense. They're much more comfortable now. Um, Dude, they're they, they're a different team now than when they played Mercer. Like every every like regardless of opponent, this offense is playing at a different level right now. And the LSU game as well. Like that is almost this anomaly that you can wipe clean. I mean, yes coaches are still there and the coaches really screwed that one up but the team when given the opportunity they dominated LSU and and so this is an Auburn team that is I think I think they're I think they're legit I think they're I think they're that good um and I think yeah I mean I just think the Iron Bowl is gonna be fun the um this when you're when you're looking you mentioned that Auburn might be the toughest game left uh, as we're coming out of uh, talking about Georgia, talking about Alabama. How do you see that matchup right now in the SEC championship game? How do I see the what no, matchup? Uh, Alabama Georgia. Because that's that was a, that was a very good. Like I I think that uh, you know beating all this Auburn team the way they're playing right now in Jordan Hare in the Iron Bowl. I I think I agree with you that that is a much tougher task for this Alabama team than going into Atlanta to beat Georgia or then even maybe like whatever their first semifinal game would be. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, cause you're dealing with a home, like a, a, a strong home field atmosphere, uh, a hostile environment, unlike those others. And I mean, look, say what you will, like college football home field matters in such a big way. I mean, just look at Ohio state. I mean, we'll get to Ohio state. I'm sure. But look at the, look at what they did in Iowa City two weeks ago, and look at what they did at home against Michigan State. 
they, I mean, they look like an, a totally different football team. And, and, and I think that all these teams that, you know, look at Miami this weekend at Notre Dame. With, with oh, Notre Dame. yeah, we're about to get to that. That's 100% a home field situation. I mean, these home field advantages are, are skewing everything we know about these teams. Like, you can't, like, when these atmospheres get, get rowdy, it's, it's, it totally changes the face of things. And I think that's one of the biggest factors involved in making this Auburn matchup tough for Alabama in two weeks is, is going to Jordan Hare. And that place, not with, with the life that they've got now. Oh, my God. That they've got. I mean, that place is going to be unreal. <laughs> like, isn't Jordan Harris Stadium already one of like like quickly? You can quickly get to uh, like five. You're at like Stadium five or seven before you start thinking of it in terms of like truly electric game day atmospheres. Yeah, yeah. I, I and I mean that's there's there's the there's others to your like. Are you saying there's others that like you kind of more you think of more instinctively than Jordan Hare? Correct, but it, it doesn't take long for me to get there. Like, I don't know if it's top five, but it's definitely top ten. In a way, I think it's a little bit under like underrated. I don't know. Probably. There's no, like, there's no, like, Death Valley, like, name associated with it. There's no, like, uh, you know, that doesn't have one of the top three or four, um, attend, you know, seating capacities. But, man, when there's a big game there, that stadium never disappoints. And uh, that's going to be a big game. Mm, that is going to be awesome. All right, uh, let's 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 real quick. Let's let's hit on the uh, let's hit on Butch Jones. All right. I feel like we don't need to give it too much time because it was uh, it was expected. This was something that um, ever since I I think that I go back. What Georgia forty one nothing kind of felt like show was over. I wasn't ready to go. I wasn't. Yeah, I think to most people it felt like that. I actually was 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 holding out. Uh, hope's the wrong word, but I I had you had reservations. I had reservations because I do really think that John Curry wanted to keep Butch Jones this year. He he was he really wanted him to be the coach by the end of the year. He wanted him to give an excuse to keep him, and and I think if they had, you know, I think maybe it started to me. It started to look really a doubtful when they lost to Kentucky. Um, and then not the South know. Carolina game. He came right back off of Georgia and had that South Carolina game that ended in the end zone with more horrible game day management. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look eight and four, he was going to keep his job. I'm convinced of that seven and five was a, I think there was an outside shot, honestly. Um, but with this Missouri loss, like, that's when it, I mean, I, I would have been surprised if they didn't fire him the next day. You know, um, fifty to seventeen against Missouri is, you know, that's inexcusable. Um, so, I, that that's what I that's why you know forget about South Carolina, forget about Alabama. I still thought had they won their last five, I thought he had a chance. Yeah. And because, like I always say, you know, you change the way you look at teams when they're on a five game losing streak. You forget that that like. We have a different perspective all of a sudden, but he couldn't get on that that winning streak, and the team's not only that, but like he's he's got a Tennessee in a dark place right now. Like they, he did a lot of work building this program up, but now I saw somewhere like I think Tennessee's never had an eight loss season or something, and and they're one of only two programs in college football with that 
on their on their resume. And they're absolutely in jeopardy with that with Vanderbilt and LSU left. Right. So to for all the good he's done, the fact that the, I mean they are he's got a chance to leave them worse than they they found them, which is sort of it's kind of sad, honestly. Um, but yeah, it had to happen. It just it had to happen, and it was it was inevitable. And even if he had he gone eight and four, I think it was inevitable for the next. You know, it was just sort of like everyone knew this thing was never going to end. He was never going to get Tennessee to where it needed to be. Uh, and now the the fascinating job hunt begins. Florida and Tennessee. Who do you think ends up? Uh, how how about this? How many names do you think are shared at the top of the wish list right now? Man, see. I have a really hard time figuring out what Tennessee can target and will target and who's interested in return. Florida's an easier one for me. You know, you just you, you kind of go through the top names and and, uh, and and maybe Tennessee is in that place too, but it's harder for me to just get in the minds of, of coaches and, and, and what they think of Tennessee. Look, it hasn't been a great job in, in since early 2000s. You know, I mean, no, they've they've been consistently average since then, and uh, I think it can be a really good job. And I think it's still got great facilities, great fan support. You know, it's right there uh, in the heart of of a lot of talents, especially with Tennessee's talent uh, sort of on an uptick, and and Georgia right there next door. You know, quick access down to Florida, all that. Um, But it's not Florida, I don't think. Right. And so I think Florida gets gets the sort of first dibs here, and I would be surprised if someone would choose a Tennessee over a Florida. Um, but I don't know. Like I think Dan Mullen is makes sense for Tennessee to chase. Does Dan Mullen think a national title is significantly uh, more likely at Tennessee than at Mississippi State? Uh, that's a that's a question I'd love to know the answer to. Um, does, what, what's your thought? I think the answer is yes. Because of the East and because of Alabama, and, and I think the answer is yes. But is it – like Dan Mullins, he could be a coach of Mississippi State the rest of his life if he wanted to. Right. He's job security. He knows he can win there. Can he win a national title? That's the question. His family is happy there. I think he likes it in Starkville. So does he trade all that in to go to Tennessee where now he is – he's got to build this thing back up win a national title, uh, lose a little bit of job security, uh, but probably has an easier road. I don't know. I think I probably would do it if I was Dan Mullen. I, th- I was going to say, because Tennessee's starting to look like a spot where um, you you kind of start to see uh, like familiar, where I could see a familiar name resurfacing. Um, like, what do you think Tennessee would hire Bobby Petrino? John Curry doesn't seem like a guy that wants that drama. Personality fit from athletic director to head coach. John Curry seems pretty buttoned up. Yeah. Um, so I'd be a little bit surprised if, if a name like that arrived. But it, like, there's so there's the names that you know you could sort of think about are, are Dan Mullen and and Mike Norvell and and Scott Frost and and sort of all these sort of names that are on everybody's list. I just wonder if Tennessee would consider sort of the the little bit more outside of the box names like a Joe Moorhead or a Brent Venables. 
the uh, the coordinator angle is very interesting. Did you already write on this? Forgive me uh, for this, but are you going to write on this? I think I'll write some this week on on some coordinators. It could be good hires. Um, do you think that the impact of a coordinator getting hired instead of one of these, you know, head coaches from another school, which you no, know, usually you uh, have it in a in a bottom feeding up sort of scenario, whether it's Dan Mullen from Mississippi State. Uh, to Tennessee or, or, you know, from Memphis to Tennessee. What's the – do you think that there's a different set of fan expectations when a coordinator is hired than when a sitting head coach is hired? Expectations for his level of success once he gets the job? Instant success of the program. Once, like, like I, I wonder if um, there there's an angle to this where when you hire Joe Moorhead, if you hire Brent Venables, if you hire – um, someone and Joe Moore has, of course, you know, has been a head coach before and a very successful one at Fordham. But um, if if the fans are going to be more likely to to not grumble about seven and five in that first year, I don't think so. I think that there's, I think that I don't think the expectations change. Wow. Yeah. And 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 I don't know. I, I don't know that they're. I don't know that they should change either. I mean, I guess you're. You're you're hiring someone, that, and and Tennessee, I think, feels like they're close. They've they played a lot of freshmen. I mean, so they got Ty Chandler and Jarek Guarantano and and Will McBride and Trey Smith and and all those freshmen on the offensive line, and they started to play some guys on defense that are young uh, based on necessity. They they've got players in place to where this this can be a successful program. What what shocked me about Tennessee. Is I still think those their teams are talented, and and other programs that have recruited on the level of Tennessee when they have the injuries that Tennessee has, they're able to backfill and put somebody in there that's that's ready to go and and can can be a next man up. And Tennessee hasn't, and I think that there's a real disconnect with their development, their strength and conditioning, uh, the the internal leadership. Like th- those are things that I think are. Are woefully lacking, and so I'd be curious when the next hire comes, whether there is a perception that that man we have a lot more to do than meets than, than people realize, as far as getting up to speed in our in our internal development. Because man, I I, I really think Tennessee has brought in some talented players, and I really think those guys have underachieved, and I really think that falls on head coach. Infrastructure. There are serious coaching infrastructure issues right now. Basically. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I really think there are. And I don't, it's hard to know what those are from the outside looking in. You know, you, you sort of make that hypothesis, but um, you really, unless you're sort of in, in the guts of the program, it's hard to know why there's that disconnect. All I know is there is one. And, and all I know is, is what that typically means. And that typically um, falls on a lot of the little things that, aren't, that don't have to do with game day coaching, that don't have to do with official visits, that have to do with, day-to-day operational um, development of your program. And so I think that they got to get somebody in that is is proven and has a plan for that. Um, your uh, friend of the program, 24-7 Sports, is Wes Rucker. Uh, seemed to, he's got plenty of thoughts out in a column over there on Go Vols 247. Uh, seem, seems like that's, you, those those sentiments are shared. Uh, he, he wrote a lot about player development uh, and and game day management and things like that. So it'll uh, it'll be very interesting to see moving forward. All right, you ready to get back to the football? Let's do it. Miami uh, 
Miami has created something very, very special in its building in Hard Rock Stadium over the last two weeks. So my question to you is, do you think that that can travel? Can that travel to Charlotte for the ACC championship? Could that travel to the college football playoff? Can that travel, heck, even to Pittsburgh for the regular season finale uh, at the end of November? I think it's a great question. Given what, what we've seen home and away in these teams this year, I, look, going into that game, you know I picked Notre Dame. I thought I thought that was one of the games I felt better about as as far as my seven locks like I felt like Notre Dame was one of my more confident locks and and I'll tell you though heading into the the game like as as the build-up began to whatever the kick was eight eastern uh I started to second guess the pick I started to question it because all you saw all over Twitter and and social media was people like raving about the, the the atmosphere and, and everywhere you turn someone's wearing a turnover chain and uh, and that stuff matters the fact that that the community is that juiced and hyped about the program again that can really feed a lot of energy to those guys and it did and and man they were so ready to play and it was fun to watch and that, that I mean you really honestly probably for the first time this year it was like a it was a no hesitation feel of like the U is back and yeah. and I mean I was so impressed with that defensive front that I mean for them to limit Notre Dame's run game the way they did for them to neutralize Notre Dame's offensive line the way they did uh I mean there's no question these this is a really talented team and guys like Travis Homer stepping up Malik Rozier stepping up I, I still wonder like that's probably my biggest question my, my biggest sort of question on Miami is like Malik Rozier can't he'll have a bad game again and and then can they overcome that I guess they they already have I mean he had three picks against Virginia Tech and uh he makes plays from time to time but he's he's imperfect um so I I'd still, I still I do think it's a good point Chip like I I don't know that I have full confidence that Notre Dame is going to be able to travel with this but why, why should we doubt them at this point? I mean, we've been doubting them all year, and, and they keep on showing up. And so I do think that they've now gotten some momentum. This is no longer a game-by-game -game setting. I mean, they've, they've lathered up, and, and, and they're, they're building a lot of confidence right now. So many freshmen and sophomores uh, have been playing throughout this entire run. Andy Staples used a great phrase. He, he said that this Miami team has shed its skin. It has emerged from... Uh, a string of these close games that I mean, heck, we we were lock fighting over it. Florida State, Miami, that game could have gone Florida State's way multiple times. Like sure. Georgia Tech, Miami, Georgia Tech carried a lead into the fourth quarter, and Paul Johnson is normally nails in that position. Like that game could have absolutely broken Georgia Tech's way, but in being able to survive all that and being able to continue to build confidence, and you know, in in the classic case of. Uh, when you have talented young players that get a full season of experience, I mean, we, we pick out different spots, uh, either by players, teams, or units every single year. By November, they're, they're playing, you know, the freshmen are playing like sophomores, the sophomores are playing like juniors. So my, my gut says that, yeah, this absolutely 
uh, is something that is sustainable for the rest of what it has become a national championship run for Mark Richt here in his second year. But I, I think that there are aspects of the environment there are aspects, which again should be a factor. If the U is going to be back, part of that should be that it is intimidating to go play against them at home. Not that you can count all the orange because the orange are the empty seats or whatever. Like it, it, it shouldn't be a sad crowd shot every single time Miami has a home game. It should be rocking. It should be on national television. They should be hyped up. And like those things being back are important. But as we play out Miami moving forward, I do think it's going to be important to remember that that offense with Malik Rozier, as you mentioned, got some short fields, like set up inside the 10 and 20 and had to settle for field goal kind of short fields. Um, you know, there are, there are places where this Miami team is still weak, but uh, what's the old cliche? I mean, defense travels. So I like, there is nothing that has me doubting the fact that Chad Thomas, Jaquan Johnson, Shaq Quarterman, Zach McLeod, like those dudes are still going to ball wherever they play. And so I come out of this um, like very confident that Miami is an elite football team, but very wary that some of its best performances have come in these home field aided situations. I have very, and I'm really disappointed in Notre Dame's showing like oh they, man i'm mad at notre dame i'm kind of ready to just put them back on the shelf for the season what was that i mean and and even to go so far as to pull brandon wimbush for ian book early in the game like second quarter right like yep that that was to me like i, I was i was watching a couple other games too and i had to sort of dig a double take like is wimbush isn't hurt right they just pulled him and and i and then you know ian book threw a pick six and like i i don't I don't know. Like it just, the offense looked really disjointed um, defensively. They didn't tackle well. They just didn't show up, man. And and uh, that was disappointing considering this team was was pacing towards a, a college football playoff berth, and uh, certainly that's dead now. Um, Dennis was on Notre Dame's campus all last week. He was on SEC Live with uh, Danny Cannell. In the morning, I was watching the South Carolina-Florida pregame show with them, and Dennis said, I've been with Notre Dame all week. They don't know what they're walking into. <laughs> like, like he, 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 was, he said, I know they're Notre Dame, and they play in big games every week, but I've been, with, like, I've been around this, this staff and this roster, and they have no idea. Like, they, I, don't think they, I don't think that there was enough respect paid to what Miami has built down in South Florida. Clearly. Yeah, I mean, I, I've... I was talking to Notre Dame people early in the week too, and they were very confident. <laughs> and uh, um, you know, that's uh, again, that's just a credit for Miami for showing up and 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 and, and really uh, taking the fights to them. And they they certainly did. Hard Rock Stadium, a place you want to be now, a place that uh, it'll, it's fun to watch a Miami Hurricanes football game. And if you want to get tickets to those games, well then, you know that buying tickets can sometimes be complicated, but there's a better, simpler, easier way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience allows you to buy or sell tickets with just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team, or you know what, even if it's a concert, your favorite musician. Uh, it's great to see him in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. See, SeatGeek saves 
saves you time and money because it searches multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to make sure that you get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And since every purchase is fully guaranteed, you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And the best of all is that you, the listeners of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code 24-7 today. That's promo code 24-7 for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Get to the game, get to the concert, and do it easier than with any other path. And it happens with SeatGeek. 24-7 is the promo code for $20 off your first purchase. All right. Um, so are you one last note on Notre Dame? I, I said, you know, they Notre Dame is still a very good football team, but this is a Notre Dame team that I will check in to see if they show up in the new year six bowl. And other than that, like, like even the Stanford game kind of lacks a little bit of luster right now, doesn't it? Well, it lacks it. I, I think it's suddenly, you know, you look at that game and you, you think Stanford could win it. And, and what is it? What does it mean? What are they playing for at this point? Um, but I do think Notre Dame still, you know, they they if, if Notre Dame wins out and and goes ten and two with losses to Miami and Georgia, I think there's a new sort of they're back. I mean, they're Notre Dame has returned to what we're playing for the meaningful games that they need to be playing for and not trailing off. Like if they now go and lose to Stanford. Uh, I think that all of a sudden, like this season is just, it's just, it was just a nice little um, vacation early Ooh. in the year that, that now, now we're, we're back to like questioning. Not, not. So maybe that Stanford, all right, well, we'll have time for that, but that's a good point. Like the difference between being 10 and two, and if your only losses are to Miami and Georgia, you probably have a high finish in the final college football playoff selection committee rankings. Um, you probably are in a New Year's Six Bowl. Nine and three with a loss to Stanford, you might not be. And look, Davies probably, uh, I mean, they better show up for that game too. So I, I just think Notre Dame went from, this is a, this is a successful year regardless, don't get me wrong, to, to bounce back from four and eight and go at worst nine and three or, or eight and four, I guess, is, is a strong bounce back. Uh, but if they really want to be back to like, look, right now, like in recruiting, you know, they're, they're catching the eye of like five stars again. And and if you want to continue to be catching the eye of five star guys and you want to continue to have Notre Dame, you know, playing in the most important games in college football, you know, you got to finish strong. Speaking of five stars, how about them Buckeyes? Man, <laughs> what do we make of Ohio State? I mean, what, what, like, who knows, man? I mean, uh, all right. So, um, do you, let's, let's start within the context of just this game i felt like it was over after one quarter it was over after like two drives like it was just like oh because michigan state can't they're not equipped to handle a shootout like that's like brian lewerke has kind of gotten things like statistically back on track but the michigan state offense as it is built is not is not does not have the horses to hang in a shootout and they made one too many like the the two long Mike Weber runs were just just mistakes and mistakes that put the game way out of hand and then once Ohio State started pouring it on the fact that they kept it rolling 
that was dirty. That was awesome. I mean, I enjoy uh, I enjoy a thorough beat them down, and that one that one was about as good as they're going to get in terms of uh, a rivalry game in November in college football. Yeah, man. I, still, like Ohio State for them to be capable of that, and then for them to also be capable of losing by twenty one to Iowa, it's just a like that. That's just a I don't. A, I don't get it. B, it's 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 a little bit frustrating. Yeah, you know, it sounds be, like it makes you mad. Be that team, like just be that team all the time, and we can we can be sitting here talking about the 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 showdown brewing in the national championship game between Alabama and Ohio State. But no, like you're not going to be that team, and and Ohio State probably is the first or second best team in the in the country when they're playing their best football. But they probably aren't even going to be in the college football playoffs. Well, I, I don't know. You know, hey, after this weekend, who knows? They they may actually sneak sneak in. Um, the the door is open again. But they look. They, they may not make the playoffs, and they probably are one of the best two teams in college football. And, and they just they just don't play like it all the time. They and and I just I don't like that. Like I want I want them to be the best team in college football. It's fun. Dominance to me is fun. Like greatness is fun. And Ohio State has a chance to be great. And they just they, they they don't every week out. And um, I don't know. Maybe 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 this is this is that that Iowa game is a wake up call, and this is their response. And and now they go on that that run. Um, but I don't know, man. It's uh, you never know when they're going to cycle back down again when they're tested. I I think that uh, I I lost confidence. Did you hear Urban coming out last week? Starting dropping the NFL draft lines. Oh no! Yeah, they're like, oh well, you know, I think we got some guys that are kind of concerned about their uh, their future and their draft value, and you know, that's like, uh, wasn't it Nick Saban after Alabama got beat by Ohio State who dropped that? And like, I think Nick Saban said that after the semifinal loss to Ohio State in fourteen, and I think he might have said it after uh, the Trevor Knight game in the Sugar Bowl against Oklahoma, but. He was like blaming the agents and stuff. Yeah, I think I, I think when Urban even let that out of his mouth, I was like, oh, oh, okay. Like, and fair or not, you know, Urban might have been just been trying to motivate his players. This might have just all been, you know, different ways of of impacting messaging to players, agents, families, whatever. But when when he's willing to say that, that's when I was like, oh, okay. So this is a a super talented team that you know, over the course of the season has not demonstrated championship qualities. Cool. Got it. I, f- I figured. And that, and that to me is what, uh, is what puts together the ability to go on the road and lose to Iowa the way they did, but then be able to come back and just run all over Michigan state. I, I think that Ohio state's going to run all over Michigan too. I think that they are going to, uh, absolutely light the scoreboard up I don't know if they can do it in the Big Ten championship game, but I definitely think that they're going to do it against Michigan, and I think that they are going to make the committee's job really, really difficult. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State just keeps hanging around. Like, you just, they, they keep on, you know, we rule them out, and then some things happen, and, and I mean, if if they're hanging around, if they get in there, you don't want to play them. And, and so here they are. They're going to go blow out Illinois. I, I tend to agree with you. Yeah, I think, I mean, that game is in Ann Arbor, so, you know, a tougher setting. And, uh, but I, I tend to agree. I think that they'll, they'll take care of business fairly easily. 
recently there as well. I, I guess maybe my my thing now is is I've I've really I like this Wisconsin team. I think what they did against Iowa was was impressive. Look, we're going to get through a year uh, with Wisconsin to where we we don't see them face a road test. So there is a level of un, of of unknown with Wisconsin uh, that that will leave the the regular season with. But I do think it's time. Their defense is. I think that good, and I, you know their run game is very stout. Like I could, that's a game that Wisconsin could win. I really think they can go in there and beat Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. So, uh, you know, that's this weekend is their test. Uh, you know, with Michigan, I, I think they win that. But I, I really like Wisconsin. I, I'm starting to really think that that's a team that can can. I mean, truly, like they can win a national title. No one talks. Talks about that. No oh, one says- hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, because I'm with you to the playoff. Like I have, I've played this out in my mind with Wisconsin making the college football play an undefeated 13 and 0 Big Ten champion Wisconsin team making the college football playoff. But I think that's where the road ends. See, I, I disagree because there's just I, I said it. Alabama, I think is the best team in college football, but the the margin is really slim between the top teams. I don't think that anybody is that much better than anybody else. And I think Wisconsin gets in there, they got to win two games. I think that they've got the defense and the run game to, to win a couple games. Mm. I, I just look, I'm not, I'm not predicting them to win a national title, but like, this is one of those teams. I, I still think uh, who, who do you think can win the national title? You think Alabama can? Yes. Who else? I think Clemson can. Um, I think that USC could, I think that Oklahoma can, and you know what those, you know what the, the reason why I don't have Miami and why I don't, yeah. And why I don't have Wisconsin it's because of quarterback. Yeah. And I, I understand that, but I, Alex Hornibrook, man, like if you're going to penalize Ohio state thinking that JT Barrett is not someone who can win you a national championship, that's a big leap to go from that rock over to, but Alex Hornibrook. You know, with that run game. Look, I, I think I think JT Barrett can probably this year too because of I, I, like I've, now that you know when I said that, my opinion has changed a little bit about the teams he would have to beat and the landscape of like who is at the top and where those teams are in terms I, of. Like, when I said that I felt like Alabama and Clemson were these juggernaut defenses that were you know immovable, uh, and. I don't necessarily think that is they're still really good. I just don't think that's the case anymore. So I think I think JT Barrett probably can can squeeze you out a national title. I would and and I think Alex Hornibrook is not the guy I would pick. <laughs> and like Wisconsin's sitting here at ten and zero, and no one is talking about them. That's true. Hey, and listen, and they deserve it. And like there's also the next layer to this, which is how many injuries has this Wisconsin team had? Because if this Wisconsin team comes into late November, into this Michigan game, you know, into uh, the time to clinch the Big Ten championship, play against you know Michigan and Ohio State in a three-week period, if they still have Jack Sitchie, if, if Jazz Peavy is totally healthy, like they have so many players that would be starting in that Big Ten championship game that are not there, and yet they are still one of the best teams in college football. Like, a huge credit goes to this, like, Wisconsin born and bred thing 
that is absolutely brewing in Madison. What is it? They've got the only they're the only FBS team where head coach, offensive and defensive coordinator are all uh, from the school, from the, from the program too. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and that's awesome. And like they're going to take that and this is going to be sustainable and we might not be talking about Wisconsin enough this year, but I don't know about you, but I don't see any way this stops. I think that they're going to be this team for like the next five years. And in the in the best years when they get some injury luck and they get maybe a little bit of a better play at quarterback, then yeah, may, I'm, I'm willing to take them to the national championship level. But I think I've got Wisconsin in like permanent, perennial playoff contention kind of team. Like you're going to be in the mix. It'd be nice. To, it would be nice if Nebraska like, – if Nebraska turned into a good football team again so that we could get, we could test Wisconsin a little bit and, and get some sort of a litmus test on them before freaking Michigan in week 11. Um, it's, it's a leap. Like it's a leap to, to say that they're capable of that. Um, I, I just think that we, you know, they are a better team than they're getting credit for. And, I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen in the Big uh, Big Ten Championship game. Iowa had 66 yards. Yeah. 66. And I know they're different environments. They had to go on the road to Madison after beating up on the uh, on Ohio State the week before and just having the you know an all-time performance. But that, I mean, that team rolled up Ohio State, and. And they couldn't move the ball against uh, against uh, Wisconsin. Right, Josh Jackson for Iowa, though, huh? Like, <laughs> yeah. keep like that guy. Like uh, he's unbelievable, man. I uh, I filled out my football writers association All American team yesterday. That was a real easy defensive back pick. It's real funny how you get you like you start off the year with preseason All America teams and the defensive backfield, and you're like, oh, Derwin James. Like it's real easy to go to the the flash right. names. Then at right. the end of the year, you're always like, uh, oh, look. Jackson and Jalen Davis. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, Utah State, yeah. Iowa. Like, yeah. Hey, yeah. man, got to reward what you actually did on the field, not just your oh. uh, your NFL draft projections. No doubt. Um, all right, Oklahoma, TCU. Is this the most impressive win of the Sooners season so far? Yeah, I think it, I think it is. Um well, I know I still think that Ohio State win was uh, at the time, but I think we're, you know, we kind of got got scared, giving up 52 points to um, Oklahoma State, and you know, you wonder about this defense, and then you know, you remember how good Oklahoma State can be on offense, and you see TCU and and uh, a more human offensive team, and yeah, that was never really a they could never keep up with that Oklahoma team. And I still think this is probably the scariest offense out there uh, in the in the playoff hunt. Uh, you know, you, you get them in there, and and, and you know you got to score some points. Alabama, you know you got to figure out a way to score some points. Ohio State, you got to you know. So um, Baker Mayfield's going to get his, and, and he did against Oklahoma or he did against TCU, and he won the Heisman again. <laughs> and uh, man, I, I, this Oklahoma team looks looks legit. Baker Mayfield nine and zero in November as a starter. Uh, seven of those victories coming against ranked opponents. The two-time Heisman finalist, not winner, because of his November uh, successes. Yeah, I think he's going to get it. Um, how, how about 
the two two wrinkles that stood out to me from the Oklahoma game. Number one, the fact that Oklahoma was just able to park the bus in the second half. Uh, gotta love that for your energy, you know, especially still coming off of that draining Oklahoma State win. Like just to be able to just chill and ride it out. I think that that was a, a big win for them. And Oklahoma also, that's less you have to put on tape, you know. Like they got up thirty-eight to fourteen and just sat on it. And to to have that kind of win, man, that's that's going to be the kind that Lincoln Riley and the rest of that staff they've got to love uh, just just for a lot of reasons. The second wrinkle, uh, Rodney Anderson has just been kind of an awesome uh, weapon that has emerged over the last five or six games for Oklahoma. Yeah, man, he he was uh, he was doing it all, uh, and to have that guy emerge after the running backs that they lost last year, and, and, and now they've got some, some versatility in, out of the backfield, uh, man, that's, that's, that's big. Um, so, yeah, I think that they're going to they're gonna close this thing out. And, and what's, what's almost a little disappointing to me is that, man, Iowa State should have beaten Oklahoma State over the weekend. And I think it would have been fun to see like, – because I, I think Oklahoma should be the um, – that there should be the Big 12 rep in the in the college football playoffs. I think they should be in. And now we're going to have to see them beat TCU again in the Big 12 championship game, which I think will be a tough task. I bet I bet they do it, but I think that'll be a really tough task to beat beat a, a good team twice. And the 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 flip side would have been, hey, we see a good Iowa State team, a great story, make it to the Big 12 championship game. A little easier road for Oklahoma, having already lost to Iowa State once. But then they get to avenge it with the right. Big 12 championship game win? Yeah. I, I just would have liked the way that played out better for the Big 12 and for Oklahoma than now having a rematch two or three weeks later of a game that Oklahoma is going to be, I think, a real challenge for Oklahoma to win again. And, and then all of a sudden the Big 12 is in jeopardy of losing a, a playoff berth once again. Right now I think Oklahoma should absolutely be in and I, I hope they don't get screwed. Oklahoma's playing uh, in the in the classic, uh, in the in the classic characters and the caricatures that we have of national championship contenders. Oklahoma is the team, like 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 this team has been Oklahoma several times in the past. But Oklahoma's a national championship contender that can put up fifty on anybody they play. Right, and that's fun. I like having them in the mix. Um, speaking of Iowa State, how about David Montgomery? Is that guy not just like an absolute Man. monster? Like David Montgomery deserves to play in the Big Twelve Championship game. Like the fact that they lose Kyle Kemp, they bring in Zeb Noland, and still just like push this thing absolutely to the wire against Oklahoma State. Um, I'm I'm with you. I didn't I didn't have that observation right at the time. But I, I'm with you now for Oklahoma's sake, but then also just for Iowa State, it kind of stinks that the Cyclones are going to be out of the Big 12 title game. And I really felt like they outplayed um, they outplayed Oklahoma State in that game. I, I, I know that's sort of they didn't lose, they didn't win, so that's sort of uh, you know what does that mean? But I, I, I felt like they kind of deserved that win. Uh, but hey, they didn't get it done. I'm curious. Like, so Chip, Alabama, Miami, Clemson. Ohio State, Auburn, Oklahoma. Your team has to play one of them in the college football playoffs first round. Who do you least want to play? Least want to play? 
Yeah, like who are you most scared of? Alabama. No yeah, doubt. like I guess where I'm going with that, like is is Oklahoma is a team. Like it's t- t- it takes a certain ty- type of team to beat Oklahoma because again, you know you're going to get your points. You know they're going to get their points, and and I that's one of the scariest teams I think to play right now because you are playing the best quarterback in college football, one of the best offensive minds in college football, and you, there's pressure every drive to put up points and. I think if they get into the playoffs, Oklahoma has a little bit of a – probably not fair to call it a Clemson field because the defense can't compare to last year's defense. But certainly they've got the Deshaun Watson field. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we want I want to see Oklahoma-Alabama, period. I, yeah, I think that's probably the game, right? Yeah, that, I mean, in terms of like the, the colossal, like best possible – epic battle it's baker mayfield against alabama i tend to agree um because the because the you know what clemson alabama ends up being like uh 21 19 right like (laughs) especially after the last couple of clemson alabama games Dabo and nick are like all right you know what let's be be in the middle (laughs) of the field for the game be like hey man let's uh let's slow slow this one down yeah um yeah let's (laughs) i think i think that that one does not have the uh like the 38 31 or 48 45 feel uh of the last two because there is no deshaun watson on the field um Let's see. Uh, you you threw out Wisconsin. I've I've spoken my piece about Wisconsin. I think Auburn's definitely scary, but I, I think Alabama and Oklahoma are up there. Again, Miami is awesome, but in terms of being terrified in a college football playoff scenario, there is a little bit of that. Um, like, all right, well, we think if you are a college football playoff team, you know, then you probably have a defense that you feel like is going to have an advantage when you line up against Malik Rozier and the Hurricanes offense. Right. And so you just you got to have something you got to have a counterpunch or a second thing to go on because uh you know that their defense is championship caliber, but it it, it is very much the game manager big play kind of style when Miami's offense is out there. Yeah. No, yeah, like that Miami ain't scaring me. Even Clemson is not scaring me. Auburn ain't scaring me. Like if, if if I'm assuming like if I'm looking at this from like an Alabama's perspective, say who's like the the the, the odds-on favorite, um, those teams may beat me, but but they're not keeping me up at night. Oklahoma's keeping me up. at Oklahoma night. Oklahoma terrifies me. Yeah. Um, I, I like that. That's a that was a very good point. All right, so out in the Pac-12, USC. I threw them out there. The path is open. Is it? I, I hadn't really so. breaking this down. Like, is it open? Is it uh, is it real? It's real. real. So here's the way. Here's what they need. Um, if USC, USC might need Stanford to beat Notre Dame, but if Stanford beats Notre Dame, and then also USC goes out there and beats Stanford, but I think Washington State maybe would have to lose again. Um, I think that USC as a two-loss Pac-12 champion coming all going in on a five-game winning streak with the fifth game being the Pac-12 championship, I think that they would get in over a TCU if TCU wrecks it for the Big 12. I don't know if they'd get in over an Ohio State, 
but I think they'd get in over a TCU, and I think that's where the path lies is for the Big 12 to mess this up with the championship game. Probably the USC, though, is is in retrospect, you look back at their schedule, and their best win is like over a 22nd-ranked Arizona. I mean, Stanford will, will retroactively look like a good win. Um, it's just as tough as this schedule has felt in real time, as you as you reflect back on it, it's it doesn't have the same sort of punch that you kind of <laughs> that it felt as we went through it. So, uh, but that's interesting that that there's a there's a path. There is and, a path. And again, that's another team. If they get in, uh, you know, they have Sam Darnold, and say what you will about his season, that guy still makes throws no one else can make. Yeah, that guy's still a baller. Guy's still a baller, and and the 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 talent and athleticism around him on that team is still is still different. Um, so USC, as particularly as they get closer to getting healthy, they'll have like two weeks off at the end of the year. Uh, yeah, I mean that that's a team that could look very very scary come playoff time. Um, all right, let's uh, let's let's cleaning out the notebook. What um, what was something that stood out that was particularly impressive to you from the weekend? I've got a couple things. Well, while we're in the um, Pac-12, look, Chip, we've been saying it, man. We were telling Stanford, play KJ Costello. Oh, my goodness. And they, they were a different team. Finally, KJ Costello, he was the starter. He had, he had a, you know, a couple games under his belt, and he was sitting in there making real throws, like rhythm, fluid throws, that were in windows and and big moments, and Stanford looked like a different football team. And Bryce Love, I want to give him props too. Like the dude was banged up. I remember at one point he came off the field limping, and uh, looked like there was no way he was going to be back in the game. And and you know he, I think he scored two more touchdowns after that. Like just tough kid. I mean, that was more like the Stanford team that I wanted to see all year. That was more like the Stanford team that I was hyping, you know, in week three saying they could, you know, two, uh, or week four or whatever saying, hey, a two-loss Stanford team could be win the Pac-12 and, and be a you know, scary bowl team. Uh, you know, this is, this is what I wanted them to look like. And, uh, and KJ Costello helped them get there. Um, I mean, 16 to 27, 211 yards. It wasn't a gaudy stat line, but man, I just felt like it was a different looking team offensively. I, I felt like uh, at times when I've been very frustrated with this Stanford team on the other side of the ball, it's been the inability to get off the field. And Stanford came up with a lot of third and fourth down. I think it was two fourth down stops. And I think they held him to like three of 13 on third down, something like that. I don't know if you got pulled up right now, but like the Stanford's defense showing up on third down, getting off the field, that was something that has not always been there. It is something that in your mind you have, you know, Stanford with these really nasty defensive fronts. Uh, they're really able to to grit it out and come up with, you know, the the hard the hard gritty stops. But this to to get this against a good Washington team and see them rise up, I gotta say that was encouraging. And after a season that's had like the the win loss record is not as bad as. I've felt about Stanford. And some of that is like 15, 14 Oregon state where you just have 60 minutes of just feeling so frustrated that this team that based on talent, based on precedent, based on coaching should be much better. Uh, this was one of their best performances of the season. 
Yeah, I agree. And I, I think this could be something that makes them a tough team to beat, uh, you know, the rest of the way here for whoever whoever gets that draw. Uh, what you got? Okay. In the ACC, disappointed in Virginia Tech, not shocked, but I thought that NC State not checking out of a game that could have definitely been a Boston College win was probably a good sign long term for Dave Doran. Um, that like Boston College started up the game just I think they got a quick stop, drove the ball right down the field, and if they'd been able to punch it in there, that was almost certainly gonna be like the moment where this this turns into the bottom falling out. You know, you, you got so high, you had the loss to Notre Dame, you you have the loss uh the very next week at home. And then all of a sudden, here's this game at Boston College where NC State has lost before, particularly after games against Clemson and Florida State. But then they hung in there. Bradley Chubb plays really well. And just like getting out of Chestnut Hill with a win in a game that absolutely felt like it could have gone the Eagles way, uh, I thought that was a good sign for Dave Doran. Feels like a type of game NC State normally loses, right? Yep, 100%. Yeah, I, I agree. That was that was big. Um how about Nebraska just laying another egg? I mean, Mike Riley's got to be done, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got to. I mean, fifty-four. Uh, I, I just this is this has gone off the rails for Nebraska. They're four and six. They've got let's see, remaining schedules: Penn State and Iowa, probably a four and eight season. Um, and so, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I want to root for Mike Riley, but I don't know that anybody saw this going anywhere differently other than the the athletic department that hired him. Um, so disappointed that Nebraska can't get it straight, but uh, I, I don't. I, this is sort of the way I saw it going. Yeah, um, that's uh, that's not fun. Uh, let's see. I had out in. Oh, I, had, I wanted someone. Kevin Sumlin, Brett Bielema. Are they both at different schools next year? I still think it's it's. You're hanging on for Bielema, I, right? I think Kevin Sumlin honestly isn't a bad coach. Like I don't. This doesn't feel like Butch Jones, and he's just he's hit his ceiling. Like to me, Kevin Sumlin's just now they could lose the last two games. Like they're losable games, and they could finish. Six and six. Uh, I don't know, man. I just I still think that Kevin Sumlin is a is a decent coach, and I don't know that this is a year that they're going to get a much better one on the open market, given the other jobs that are open. Who's already got a head start on them? But yeah, if they, I mean, seven and five or six and six is probably what we expect. I mean, I don't know. Ole Miss looks like a really tough out right now, the way they're playing. Jordan Taamu just keeps on balling. Like, yes. He's taking the starting job, uh, 368 yards passing, 76 yards rushing, 382 yards passing, and then 418 yards passing last week. Uh, I mean, that they're, they are feeling it right now, and they really should have beaten – Arkansas uh, three weeks ago. So, anyways, that's that's a little bit of a tangent, but um, that's going to be a tough out. I like Kevin Sumlin as a coach. I just it, it may be tough to argue you can keep your job if you if you somehow stumble to six and six. Yeah, um, 
and then all of a sudden, like we start talking about the the dominoes and the coaching search, like Texas A and M. That's a that's a that is a big Texas sized domino. It's such a weird year, man. If those kind of dominoes fall, if Arkansas and A and M are both open with potentially Tennessee, Florida, and potentially Mississippi State, if Mullen jumps ship somewhere, um, I just this is not. It doesn't feel like the market's ready for that because it doesn't feel like there's as many names out there that are really those like really high, you know, high priority candidates. So it'll be. Uh, this is going to be a, a weird cycle, I think. Mm, but you know what that is good for? It's the agents. <laughs> hey, it's going to be a... Uh, Money-making season for those guys. It's going to be a great holiday season in the home of some coaches and agents. Thanks to uh, thanks to this. Thanks. To, what would that be? I guess it's not a buyer's market. It would be a seller's market, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's... who's Who else is on that, like... Um, who's got their name attached to every single job? But like Gary Patterson's going to get a fat new deal at TCU, right? Like, and I don't, I don't know. There's any chance Gary Patterson leaves TCU, right? But he's on but he's, every, he's on every list. Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> He'll. Hey, you know that's uh, this. All right. So the very end of the podcast. I'll, I'll let's wrap on this. At what point? Will you allow your brain to consider the idea that John Gruden will be the Tennessee coach? <laughs> I the only reason why I'm not just like outright just refusing to even consider this conversation is that I never thought Jim Harbaugh was going to be Michigan's coach. Ooh, I that was such a pipe dream at the beginning of that cycle, uh, and it happened. So you know, who knows? I will be dumbfounded, flabbergasted, shocked beyond belief if John Gruden ends up the head coach of Tennessee. Uh, it doesn't seem plausible. doesn't seem realistic. But, hey, strange things have happened before in this in this crazy game. I won't believe it uh, until Schefter tweets it. Right. Like until somebody from internal ESPN gets, right. gets to break it. Um, <laughs> then, Or maybe it's Chris Lowe or something. But, like, I... I, I will not believe anyone from your local Knoxville radio station. I will not believe anyone from, you know, the anywhere on Twitter. Heck, I might not even believe it on a television news report. Until You're not going to believe it when Albert Hainsworth tweets it again? Not going to believe it when Albert Hainsworth tweets it again. When someone from inside ESPN is aware that the contract is being broken of their chief Monday night football analyst and breaks the news. So that he can go recruit high school kids 365 days a year. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like that's when I'll start to believe it. And that will be followed by uh, a very, very strong stance that this is not going to work. Right. Like ultimately more than anything, the groomers and the Gruden experience comes down to my honest belief that even if they talk him into it, even if they back the dump truck up and he just is feeling frisky enough to give it a shot, I don't think it works. Yeah, it seems it's there's just so there's so much this far fetched about this whole thing. Uh John Curry seems like a, a much more. Um, oh, and yeah, and by the way, that's not considering what a smart and measured man John Curry appears to be. Right, right. 
Uh, goodness gracious. Uh, anything else from the weekend that stands out? You want to get on uh, get on the record here? That's all I got, man. All right. Awesome. Well, he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Make sure that you subscribe to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. we got a big week coming up. Barton, thank you very much. Sir. Sure.